This season of Life on a Plate is sponsored by Bart Ingredients, whose extensive range of quality herbs, spices, seasonings and pastes are all available at Waitrose. Bart offers so many simple, delicious ways to elevate your cooking. From aromatic whole spices to handy blends and pastes such as Ra's El Hanout or black garlic paste, they'll help you build incredible depth of flavour and create beautiful dishes. What's more, with over 50 years of experience working with producers all over the globe, Bart's guarantee their ingredients are grown and harvested responsibly with care for people and the planet. So whether you're just starting out on your cooking journey or you're, forgive the pun, a seasoned chef, you can relax and trust Bart to open up a world of exciting flavour. Go to waitrose.com forward slash Bart to discover the range. Hello and welcome to the second season of Life on a Plate, the podcast from Waitrose. In each episode, we talk to some very special people about what food means to them, asking about their comfort foods and favorite dishes, their food memories and go-to ingredients, and finding out a lot more about each of our guests in the process. Alison, hello. Hey, hello. How are you doing? I'm all right, thank you. What have you been up to? Have you been going out doing stuff? Well, I have been doing stuff because, excitingly, we're in the moment when uh, restaurants have reopened for outdoor dining. And so my my day job, which has been a little bit interesting, to say the least, for the last year or so, is uh, returning to something like normality. And so I've been eating out a fair bit and getting back up to speed and writing my column for the Evening Standard. And yeah. Does that mean you're out every lunchtime and dinner or, you know? Yeah, not quite, not quite that level, but it is ramping up. I feel like I maybe made a good show of being like, oh, you know, like playing it cool about restaurants coming back. And then, you know, moments into my first lunch back at Rochelle Canteen in Hackney in London, I was practically weeping. I was so happy. It was amazing. <laughs> I kind of, uh, I lost all cool. So it's, um, it's really, it's really lovely to be back. It's nice to kind of to have that routine back and to just, and to just see people being just so happy and the restaurateurs and the chefs are really happy to have people there. People are really grateful and happy to be out. And it's just it's just a lovely feeling. And I think it's quite a sort of precious thing that we need to remember and, and enjoy. Have you been out to any restaurants? Do you know what? I've, what I've mostly been doing is having friends over. I've got a garden, so I've been just got mm. a lot of enjoyment about cooking for other people again. Yeah, it's it's a good point, actually, because I think... Obviously, in my world, it's kind Mm. of all been about restaurants and eating out, but it's just a huge thing to be able to have almost like a restaurant experience in your own place where you're comfortable and, you know, you can get a fire going and, you know, there's no stress over the loo. And if it's a bit nippy, it's much easier to nip in and get a hot water bottle or extra jumpers if it's cold. and Yeah, my wife went out recently with a hot water bottle under her arm, uh, which, uh, you know, Definitely tells you everything you need to know about the times. I do think it is one of the fashion statements of this uh, this season. A hot water bottle. <laughs> one of the prime, <laughs> one of the prime accessories. It certainly is. But the great thing about our guest today is his job hasn't really changed, has it? And it's, if anything, it's become more important over the last year. Absolutely. Uh, 
This is Dev Griffin, who is uh, best known as a DJ with a long acclaimed career at Radio One and One Extra, who's now crafting out a new life for himself, excitingly at heart. He's a hugely enjoyable, fun, frank presence uh, on the radio. And you're right, he is somebody who I'm sure a lot of people have have found it so vital to have that kind of connection with mm. radio hosts and you know that that sense of routine as well he is a guest on strictly of course or, or rather he was in strictly so he was in strictly he's really foodie so he was part of the celebrity master chef and was in the final of of that year in 2017 he came back last christmas for the master chef christmas specials and then he's even been brave enough to be part of the SAS Who Dares Win series. Yeah, yeah. He uh, he really uh, boldly goes mm. into these uh, these challenges that I would not fancy myself. And uh, I can't wait to hear more about his MasterChef journey, about his cooking, about his background growing up and becoming a DJ and a broadcaster at such a young mm. age. He was basically like a, a child prodigy, like kind of, you know, on the radio when he was a teenager. Um, there's lots to get into, so uh, let's do it, shall we? Um, here is our conversation with Dev Griffin. Dev Griffin, thank you so much for joining us. Lovely to see you, lovely to have you on. Let's start at the beginning, which uh, is a place that we always love to start, uh, with your childhood. Uh, you are the youngest, along with your twin sister, and you've described yourself as the baby boy of the family. I've I've never been given any responsibilities in my ever ever. I've got away with murder my entire life. Do you know? What? I think that's quite common. I'm number two. I'm I'm a one of the big sisters with little brothers, and they do yeah. they do get away with murder. Oh yeah, completely. And you know, it it has affected me. I would say as an adult, because even now at thirty six the things that I know I'm supposed to do that I lie in bed going, oh, don't make me do stuff, please. I just want to, can somebody else do it? Please, can can someone, as a, as a favour for me, can somebody else do it? That inner kid is still running the show. Yeah. Um, in terms of kind of responsibility and taking command of situations, have you always been, have you been self-sufficient in terms of food and looking after yourself? Can you feel, what like your early memories of of cooking? What was the food situation at home? So uh, when my mum hears this, I've got to apologise. <laughs> you know, here's the thing. I love my mum to bits, right? She's an incredible woman, okay? She worked very, very hard to give us things when I was growing up. But she wasn't a great cook, okay? She wasn't a bad cook. She was definitely not a bad cook, not by any stretch. But it was, you know, it was quite routine. It was like corned beef and rice and pasta and tuna mm. and, you know, like staples. It, yeah. you, you know, we should have pushed the boat out, you know, Finder's crispy pancakes, you know, if we were if we were good one week. Um, mm. But again, there was no kind of like, oh, I've tried a new dish or oh, I've learned you know, something new that I wanted to like give you guys. She, she kept us alive. <laughs> that's, yeah. what, that's what working mums do. You know, they keep their kids alive. Uh, but I, 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 I definitely say my food inspiration is my middle sister, Kelly, or uh. Michaela, we all call her Kelly. Um, and she was not, when I was much younger, I don't remember being a, big, uh, a, a good cook, but I, think, I guess when we got to our teenage years, she would just learn stuff and experiment. And, you know, she really got into like Caribbean cooking. And I, I think, 
in, in a lot of ways. I, I, I came to this, that point later in my life, but she was, I don't know if she was doing it on purpose, but I think discovering a lot about her identity and through cooking yeah. and through food and, and also learning about the world as well through food and what people eat and, you know, tra- traditional foods and, and that kind of thing. So, um, I mean, all my food was cooked for me growing up. I think I barely put a frozen pizza in the oven up until about <laughs> 22 when I'd, when I'd, when I'd moved out. Um, so no, if I was left alone in my house for more than 48 hours, I probably wouldn't make it. Like, up, up until, up until my early twenties, that, that wow. unfortunately is true. That's, that's really impressive because we've seen you on MasterChef. How did you suddenly be able to cook? So I think about this, I think about this a lot, right? And, I had such a shock when I'd moved out at uh, 22. I'd, I'd moved to West London to um, go to uni. Uh-huh. And it's my first time ever living on my own. It's uh, my first time not having people do stuff for me. <laughs> uh, and I had to do everything, you know, within the first day. You have mm. to do all your own laundry and all your own cooking. And mm. um, again, it was a real sh- like shock for me that oh okay I'm gonna have to really get my 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 stuff together and I made a really conscious decision I don't want to eat bad food I don't want to just eat frozen food or you know stuff from the tins or just like some oh just like put something together quick I I wanted to not just get good at cooking but I wanted to be able to make nice things and. It's actually really fun as well when you're getting into it. And, you know, you're in the kitchen, you're covered in flour and sauce <laughs> or whatever, and you've got some music on. And um, without without realising it, it, it kind of became this... I, I'm also one of those people who, if I am into something and I want to learn about something, I'm not just, oh, well, I'll do that sometimes. I want to get all the books and <laughs> I want to like, cram as much knowledge. It almost realize how much time I've lost for not being into this thing. So now I'm going to make up for lost time in a weekend. I'm going to learn all of it. Um, so I was very much like, I'm all in with when once I'd, I'd, I'd learned how to cook. And, and also so many of the things you learn are, are transferable. So if you learn how to make one type of sauce, you, you know how to make yeah. another, you can switch things up a little bit and add your own little zhuzh. Not with bacon. Bacon's different. That's yeah, all. Yeah, yeah. That's Safe. Bacon's out. That's alchemy. But like... Yeah. But for cooking, yeah, you can you you can try stuff out, and I'm 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 still doing that now. I'm still challenging myself to to learn yeah. stuff. So yeah. what kind of, what kind of things were you perfecting while you were at uni in those early days? Like all the stuff that I really liked to eat. So it was mainly Italian food. So like uh, carbonara was like a really big shout. I mean, it's like so simple. It's like not even five ingredients, but it just it 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 looks so good yeah. on the plate. <laughs> like you really feel like you've actually uh, you've actually done something. And you weren't making your own pasta at that stage. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't making my own pasta then. No, I didn't, the thought hadn't even occurred to me uh, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, uh, I would make like loads of soups as well because you can put them in the fridge and like heat it up the next day if you can't be bothered. So like loads of like my favorite was uh, like a sweet potato soup that I'd like make really spicy. It was also really mm. nice if you were a bit ill or a bit under the weather. I was doing like insane hours when I was um, at you know at uni because it's the same time that I'd uh, more or less the same time I'd signed to Radio One and was mm. Um, mm. started to do uh, early mornings for them as well. So yeah, like it, it wasn't even a case sometimes of uh, can't be bothered to cook. It was I'm I'm too tired and I need, yeah. <laughs> I need mm. to go to bed. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, fi- figuring out those meals I could like maybe keep in the fridge for like a couple of days and and, and still be all right. Yeah, the idea of what radio 
presenters eat or what their diet's like. Like I would think, particularly early morning show hosts, it'd be a bit topsy-turvy and maybe chaotic and you're just kind of grabbing mouthfuls, like, you know, while something's playing. Like, is that true? Is that kind of what it feels like? I had six months of eating a Cornetto for breakfast (laughs) at three o'clock in the morning. Yeah, I did that for about six months before. I think it was a producer at the time who had a little quiet word with me, like, that's not normal. (laughs) I don't think you should do that. It's like, yeah, you know what? You're right. You shouldn't have a... No one should have a morning Cornetto. It shouldn't be a... Where, where did the morning Cornetto come from? I'm, I'm fascinated by this. I mean, you're just... Like, so to give you an idea of my, my typical schedule, when I was doing early breakfast on radio, right? To give you an idea of my typical schedule, my alarm would go off at 2.30 a.m. Wow. Wow. And... And even, I did that show for four and a half years. Even after that amount of time doing it, every time your alarm goes off at <laughs> 2.30 in the morning, you look at it and you think that can't be no. right. It can't be. So like, hang on, if I'm on air at 4 a.m., it's 2.30. Now, I've still got 12 hours until I'm supposed to be, like, your brain does not mm-hmm. make the connection. So, you know, I'd, I'd get up. I wouldn't have anything to eat. You get to you get to work. They got like a decent canteen downstairs. But you know what's going to win at that time in the morning? Are you going to go for some hot food or are you going to go for a little cornetto? You know, it's like <laughs> smi- smiling at you from the freezer. <laughs> There's something, it's like breaking the rules. There's something like, it's like early morning crisps or something. Like I just kind of, you're upsetting the natural balance of, uh, of yeah, the Yeah, you're world. thinking nothing else is normal in my life right now. Why does what I eat have yeah, to be normal? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, way to rebel. Um, I wanted to go back to you mentioning your sister there, Kelly, and her kind of journey with discovering or exploring the Caribbean heritage and your family's Caribbean heritage through food. And it's definitely something that I feel that I've seen a lot of people of like my generation and, and younger doing that that food has become this quite useful vehicle to re-engage with with this side of you what's your journey been with that so like just to give you a background like I didn't I've never had a close relationship with my dad he's he's Jamaican my mom is Irish and I didn't even really know that my dad was Jamaican until I was I don't know maybe 10 or 11 Mm -hmm. I started asking I just remember it was a, it, it all of a sudden became a really big deal in my circle of friends. Um, like I, I, I grew up in Hackney uh, mm. in Stoke Newington. Stoke it was a very you know multicultural, like all different types of kids. Mm. But I do remember there was a distinct shift again about ten or eleven, where all of a sudden it was like, "Oh, where's your dad from? And where's your dad from?" And mm. um, then I remember, oh, I would ask questions about, "Oh, like, where's my dad from?" And I found out Jamaica, but that, that didn't really mean anything to me, just mm. as, as a country or a place. I didn't have any idea about its, you know culture or history or, or 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 anything so actually it was it was a weird thing to be told oh half of you is jamaican but you don't know anything about that and then having to tell people that like other people who consider themselves jamaican or whatever and then all of a sudden you do get brought into that culture but you feel like a bit of a uh, a fraud because mm-hmm. you know I'm, I'm listening to dancehall and reggae i can't understand any of the lyrics and their parents are talking to me in patois and i'm having to uh, yeah i don't i don't really get so actually i think in my early teens i think i kind of rebelled against the idea that i i had to know about jamaican things because mm-hmm. my dad's from jamaica yeah and, 
you know, then having to explain to people, well, I didn't grow up with my dad in the house where, mm. you know, he didn't make, he didn't make oxtail for me like every Sunday. <laughs> and, you know, I, I, I didn't know about any of that. Uh, so very much my, I think my connection before it was food was through music. Um, so I really got into my early teens DJing and mm-hmm. would listen to loads of UK Garage and Jungle. And but Jungle is incredible in that, you, you know, this jungle is a very quintessentially British genre of music. But what it literally did was take the records that people have brought over in the Windrush and people of like mm. Caribbean heritage, their parents have brought these records over. Their children have picked up this music and gone, oh, this is great. How can I make this fuse with all this other music that is going on around me at the time, like house music and drum and bass, and they sort of fuse this all together and made a British thing out of something that had come from uh, the Caribbean. So yeah. I would listen to this music and after a while you start thinking, oh, I wonder what that sample is that they'd used. Oh, this song Champion, like, who, who, who does that song? Oh, this guy, Buju Banner. Oh, cool. I wonder like, what Buju Banner's music is like. Oh, well, this is like that music that my friends, parents used to listen to, but I didn't really understand. Now I kind of understand it because I've seen where it's been used. And so that was, that was my uh, uh, kind of connection uh, uh, to my heritage um, in that way. At first it came through music and then it would come uh, through food mm. and, and then really hit home. These two worlds clashing together and, uh, uh, through carnival, um, which uh, the first carnival I would have gone to would have been in Notting Hill in London, which for anyone who's never been, it, it's, it is a Caribbean celebration because it happens in the heart of London. You also get this, this real mixture of this huge British influence in yeah. Notting Hill carnival, even though at the heart of it, it is a celebration of Caribbean culture. Um, and for somebody who's growing up in London, that's like a mecca to go to as a, as a young person or as just a person who is a lover of music and culture. And, you know, there are times when you can literally stand on a street corner at Notting Hill Carnival and in one ear, you can hear like dub, reggae and soca, you know, as a truck store. And in the, uh, and in the other ear, you can hear garage and you can hear house music and you can hear yeah. like an MC with a British accent or, and then, you know, the, the smell of the food that's in the air yeah. as well. There's no, yeah, other time, yeah. there's no other time of year. There's no other time of year that you would get that, 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 that smell. And, you know, as a, as a kid, uh, again, not knowing about any of that food. I mean, I just want something to eat when I'm coming home from Carnival. You, you'd, you'd walk past these places and, you know, you start to get to know like, oh, okay, that's jerk chicken. And, oh, that's oxtail. And, oh, okay, that's fried fish. And, da, da, da. and uh, 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 what started as me feeling like a bit of a fraud and an outsider to something that is like my birthright, is like part of my culture. Mm. I all of a sudden found myself, oh, I get this now. I understand this. And I'm, 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 I'm like, I'm involved in it. The music thing is really fascinating because it's been obviously a passion of yours um, from a young age. As you say, you play acoustic guitar, is that right? Yes, I've always kind of had this thing about not just wanting to listen to music for as as long as I can remember. In fact, I've got faint memories of wearing some of my mum's records down to the point where you couldn't even really play a certain (laughs) section anymore. Just from wanting to listen, as you know, an eight-year-old with your little clumsy eight-year-old fingers, like scratching a record. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think even, I would even make, you know, little fake radio shows and stuff whilst playing like, my mum's records. And I remember her saying to me one day, you should, 
why don't you, why don't, why don't you buy your own? Why don't you buy your own songs? Um, and that, once I got a little bit older, I could get a paper round, start like, buying my own, um, my, my own records and stuff. It just became this complete obsession to... Uh, it, it's, it's not like this anymore, which is a little bit of a, a little bit of a shame. Like my place that I would go to to buy records, there was a place called Locked On in Archway. Um, there was um, Uptown and Black mm-hmm. Market in in Soho, which you know, depressingly now they're like tanning salons or something like that, <laughs> or like cool coffee shops. But you know, as a 13, 14 year old, I'd get on the train from 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 High Barnet all the way into town with my, you know my little <laughs> my little pocket money. And spend all of the money that I have on records. But what what is so incredible about that time, and for me, like getting getting into music, is um, if somebody made this song that you'd heard on the radio, they'd only make a certain amount of copies. So mm. maybe they might press up two hundred copies of that vinyl. Say Uptown or Black Market gets fifty of those. If you're not there when the record comes out and it sells out, that's it. You can't get it anymore. <laughs> so. I could have a record collection of songs that you can't get. You physically can't get hold of mm. those. So those those records are my, that's my whole identity. That's the hard work that, and graft that I'm putting as a DJ. Yeah. I, I've, even got, I've even got a memory of being about 14 or 15 years old. There was one song in particular. It was a remix of this song called Got Myself Together. I made my mum drive me round to five <laughs> or six different record shops to find this one record because I knew they weren't going to make that many copies and I just needed... And it's still... You know, I you couldn't offer me enough money now to take that record off of me. Like, I... That's gonna stay in. That's gonna stay in my collection. Yeah, yeah. The link between food and music, um, you know, you've been touching on it constantly throughout our conversation so far. What What does it mean for you? I, I think like this year, especially, mm. it's kind of made me think about uh, the, th- the the things that I enjoy, the things that I feel connected to. And, uh, you know, trying to get into things like uh, mindfulness and mm. meditation and um, like, I've, uh, like I've, I've gone back to therapy like in the last six months and trying to, as well as, you know, trying to take care of my physical being or whatever, also trying to take care of my mental as well. And when I read about you know, mindfulness and meditation and I'm, a lot of the, the words and the language that they use around it, I'm like, I kind of do that anyway like when mm. if i'm if i'm cooking you know, i've been told before oh you you're, you're like it looks like i'm zoning out yeah. i don't like people <laughs> talking to me or uh, having a chat i'm like yeah cuz i'm i'm concentrating on 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 what i'm doing i don't yeah. like to have the tv on and oh i'll check that in a minute and see if that's ready for me that that is my meditation that is how i unwind i unwind and how i like feel connected to something as well yeah Tell us a bit more about the sourdough that you've got on your Instagram feed. You hopped aboard the sourdough train. Can I just say this? I thought I was being original, okay? When <laughs> lockdown first happened and I was like, okay, we're all going to be in our houses for a long time. Let's get a little project on the way. Oh, I've heard sourdough and the culture takes like a long time to to, to put together. So I thought I'd do that. And I didn't know when I checked Instagram the next week that, the rest of the UK was also <laughs> going to be doing that as well. Um, no, I had um, I had some 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 very unsuccessful attempts at sourdough to begin with. I mean, I don't know if you guys. It feels like such a distant memory now. Even getting flour last April was ridiculous. I was ordering online. I remember there was one place I ordered from where 
I finally got through to the checkout. It said six weeks until delivery. <laughs> what is happening right now? You were able to get a sack delivered online. <laughs> well, you joke, right? Um, after uh, there was one e- uh, evening in particular where, like, you know, maybe after a couple of glasses of wine, I decided, ah, oh, I'm gonna order loads. Um, and kind of forgot about it. And then what happened is 17 different types of bread flour showed up <laughs> on my doorstep. But uh, what was good is I had a chance to try out lots of uh, lots of different techniques. So no, I did the same thing as everybody else, which is uh, I, I put it in a mason jar and gave it a name. Uh, mine was Muriel after the film Muriel's Wedding. Okay. Um, and I left it in the left it in in the airing cupboard for a couple of weeks and fed it daily. But I, I had a lot of very unsuccessful attempts. Uh, my idea was that I was going to keep it forever and then hand it down to my children. <laughs> so has that not happened? Well, I don't, and after about six weeks, you get a little bit bored and you think maybe I'll just watch Tiger King again. <laughs> Well, we all were learning new things about ourselves, <laughs> weren't we? We've all been learning and it was a it was a more transformational year for you than most because um after such a long time you left the BBC and you left um Radio One. Um what was the experience of that like for you? I mean it was it was obviously very tough. Mm. It's not just you're not just uh leaving a job, you know, I'm, I'm leaving what for a long time I considered was almost at home, yeah. you know, like family. Yeah. These are people I work with, not just my colleagues. These are people I've been on a holiday with yeah. and lived with mm. at times and Growing up you know, with. had all these, yeah, precisely. And had all these like incredible memories and experiences. And then you get the feeling of, Oh well, I'm still going to see them. I'm not. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not, yeah, yeah. I'm not moving. I'm not moving country. Yeah, or, yeah, you know, all, yeah. all these people that I care about, I'm. I'm still going to see them. But yeah, it was. It was a difficult. It was. A, it was a difficult move. But I also felt like I really wanted challenges, and mm. I wanted to feel like I was learning new things and being stimulated as well. I just felt like I was ready for, and it sounds so cliche, but I just felt like I was just like ready for the next chapter. Mm. That Radio 1 was this incredible, almost magical time. But then where I am now, you know, to have people look me in the face and tell me, we're so excited that you're here. Mm. And to feel so valued. Mm. I never used to think about this before. I used to always very much downplay my job as a mm. presenter, broadcaster, yeah. like whatever. I'm like, I talk about myself for a living. I talk about what type of socks I got last week for a living. That's what, it's not a discernible skill. I'm not out there saving lives. But in the last year, having people, you know, privately message you saying things like, you know, I've been going through a bit of a rough time, but hearing you on the radio or I heard this song the other day or oh, you made me laugh. And mm. that just, this kind of reminded me of the value in my job and has made me feel like, especially where I'm at now, you know. The, at heart. Heart, says, yeah. heart, is, heart is literally about making people feel good. Um, again, just making me feel like I've got real value in what I do and that I really enjoy that. that I do enjoy making people smile or whatever. I actually even enjoy winding people up a little bit, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> like, like whatever way. Yeah, it, it feels like uh, that relationship between sort of 
radio host and listener is, and, you know, podcaster and listener is such a uniquely intimate thing, isn't it? And yeah, I, I completely can see that you must have had people get in touch, people that have kind of um, got in touch for phone-ins and shared things, and you've been a kind of companion throughout this period for so many people. That must just be an amazing feeling. I feel like maybe what the last year has done is has put a lot of us on an even kill. Mm-hmm. And I feel there's a lot more empathy. That like if I said to you, do you know what I actually don't feel like talking today, mm. you would 100% know yeah. exactly what that's like yeah, because yeah. we've all been through yeah. it. Yeah. If there was times before, I'm even trying to have a discussion five years ago about mental health, yeah. like people would have looked, looked at you weird. Um, but uh, again, now I feel like it, definitely one of the positives that have, that have come out come out of this is I think you understand that whatever that thing is, mm. uh, I think we understand that a little bit better. Yeah, yeah. What has therapy kind of given you? And I think it's really commendable that you talk about it so much and you're so open about it. Um, you mentioned there, you know, the the huge strides we've made in terms of conversations about mental health and the fact that even anecdotally, like, you know, I interview actors and um, other people like that and chefs and there are conversations about therapy and mental health just, just happening and people are offering it up. So what is it, how has it benefited you and what are the things that you've kind of learned about yourself? So initially they, they offered me therapy when I did strictly. Mm. Mm-hmm. They do it. They do it for everybody. It's like a duty of care thing that I think they do on most reality yeah. shows. I did it with um, the SAS show I did as well. Oh, I spoke yes, to a yeah. psychologist yeah. before and after, and that was. I can't tell you how important that mm. was in order to process both of those experiences. Yeah. To be able to have someone tell you everything you're thinking right now is normal, yeah. um, and this is what to expect, and to kind of put a lot of things in context that most people won't experience. Especially the strictly thing, like most people aren't gonna know what it's like to go from like having no one know who you are to, yeah. you know, what I mean, all of a sudden, like I'm going to the like I'm going to the petrol station and I'm I'm seeing something that happened to me in training the yeah. day before mm. on the front page wow. of a newspaper when I thought that I mean there weren't no cameras or whatever in the room when I was there, so like, I was so all of a sudden you're like thrust out there in front of everybody. Yeah. Um, and I'm quite an intensely private person as well. Mm. I don't really like to share too much of my my personal mm. life. Uh, I guess that's maybe surprising for people. Like they wouldn't expect, you know, you kind of very confident, very open. And, yeah. Well, you hide behind it, don't you? Mm. you hide, I mean, I hide behind like brashness. Mm-hmm. And I actually learned from a really young age that you can hide behind bravado quite easily. That if you're the loudest person in the classroom, well, no one's going to go, that guy's insecure. <laughs> they're not going to think that. They are going to, like, it is, it is a, a, a kind of full sense of confidence. But th- that being said, I've also been given that unfaltering confidence from my mum. Mm. I don't know if it's being the baby boy thing, but I- I'm telling you right now, there's nothing anyone could do or say to me that would genuinely make me doubt myself. Mm. Like, there's Brilliant. always that voice in me. There's always that voice inside that's going, nah, you're pretty much a baby. Don't listen to you that. Um, but no, I, 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 initially, I was offered the therapy with uh, when I did Strictly, and I thought I was just going to go in there and talk about Strictly stuff. And then the first day I was like, yeah, so I've always had this weird thing with like my dad. Like, what do you think this is? And then all of a sudden you just open up all these doors. Yeah. And the way I just the way I describe it to people, it's like, imagine, I don't want to speak for everybody else, but my brain is like that show hoarders. 
You know, yeah, that yeah. Per, like person on that show, hoarders, just any one of them. Yeah, yeah. Just your your generic hoarder. Okay, so you open the front door and you think, oh my god, look at us. Why have you Why have you let this get like? It's not even. And you think, all right, okay. Therapy is like dealing with that first hallway. You're like, right, speak and span. Let's get rid of all this stuff. So you think. All right, okay, all right, making a little bit of headroom. You'd be like, no, let me show you what's behind door number two. Oh. And then all of a sudden, you start opening up all There's these doors, and, and it is, it, yeah, it just keeps going. But uh, I think my, one of my therapists that I work with, I think, described it brilliantly. And it was a real kick up the behind for me. I said to her, Oh, you know, I enjoy these little chats. And she said to me, These aren't little chats, this is work. <laughs> Supposed to be doing work right now. Right. I was like, oh my goodness, <laughs> yes. And to go back to, you know, what we were talking about before, that's so alien to me. The concept of me doing something for myself mm. that I have to put some effort in yeah. and actually do this. Um, it was really scary. And there's times when I've, even now, there'll still be times when I've got a therapy session coming up and I'll be like, I'll just make up an excuse and say I can't do it. But <laughs> yeah. you know, equally, equally, like any time I've ever decided to go to the studio or sit down and learn something, I've never finished it and gone, well, that was a waste of time. I've mm. always gone, oh, well, I'm, I'm really glad I've done that. And maybe like one of the biggest ba- breakthroughs I feel like I've had with therapy is being a lot more honest with myself, realizing that a lot of the values that I've, based my own self-worth on like nonsense mm-hmm. and it is going to take a lot of work and I do have to dig really deep in order to find maybe that peace that I'm looking for I feel like I'm in therapy right now <laughs> <laughs> Tell us a bit more. You were in Strictly as well as the SAS Who Dares Wins. Does that did that affect your attitude towards food and fitness? So in in the build up to the SAS show, I tried to really get in shape because I knew it was going to be brutal. I'd watched the show before. I was like a big fan of the series actually, and I was like, this is going to be awful. The food is is so interesting. I remember that we were given these rations for a mission that we were supposed to go out on and the losers were going to have to stay overnight in the snow. The winners <laughs> get to come back to the base. One of the rations was this shake spaghetti bolognese. Oh, yeah. So it's like, uh, it was a, you know, freeze-dried meal and then it's got some weird packet in it that you shake <laughs> and it heats up really, really hot mm. and it warms up this bolognese for you. Yeah. And I remember we on the, we'd been out all day and we'd been out like some of the night in the snow and we were on the way back and these these journeys on the way back to the base were the worst. It was freezing cold. Everyone's wet and tired. And you're in the back of this rickety <laughs> flatbed. You know, the, the wind is... You don't know if they're going to drag you out again to go and do something else. Sometimes you're in there for about three hours on the way back to the base. You're just like, oh, man, I just want to get in my bunk. And I remember coming back from doing that mission, as it were... And I reached into my pocket and felt my bolognese rations oh. and just pulling it out of my pocket and going, guys, I've still got my rations. And when I, I remember shaking it up, waiting for it to heat up, like, oh man, I can't wait. Just being so tired and hungry. I remember I gave, um, I gave, uh, I gave Vic my, uh, my heat bag because she was cold because I'm a gentleman. And guys, when I tell you this bolognese is 
top five best meals I've ever had in yeah. my life. And I know as I'm telling you this, I know as I'm telling you this, one, you don't believe me, but also that it's because I was delirious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And really, really hungry. I'm really hungry. But then, but then, but then, I, but then I, I challenged that with this, okay? What is good food really, okay? Because I was surrounded by people that in that moment I felt loved, and I felt supported. Mm. I felt that these guys would do anything for me. I would do anything for them. We've just been through this horrific ordeal together. And now I'm able to celebrate with this meal. I mean, what is what, what do you want to call good foods? That is a good meal. No, I'm with you. I'm sure that was, yeah. uh, you know, I want to try one of those now. Shake the packet, warm it up. Mm. Oh, it, was, <laughs> it was incredible. I was going to ask, after being on uh, MasterChef, had that changed your style of cooking? But it doesn't sound as dramatically as your eating habits after <laughs> who does win. No, but th- no, but there's this weird thing though. It's a lot of pressure after you've been on MasterChef. Don't get me wrong. I get to completely lord it over my friends and family. Like anywhere near a kitchen, I'm going to be like, oh, sorry, which one of you have been in a MasterChef? Oh, it's just me. It's just me. All right. So, so I get to cook or I get to say what goes. So yeah, you completely get to lord it over people. But on the other hand, there's all that pressure of, uh, oh, Mr. MasterChef over here. So if you, if you mess something up, or you can't exactly serve cheese on toast anymore, can you? Because you're supposed to, you're supposed to up the ante. So actually what I do now is, I only cook for a few select people because I don't want I don't want my uh, very flimsy <laughs> reputation being ruined. Is there anything you always have in your store cupboard? I always have a nice little selection of rums. I'm quite into my my rum and my spiced rums. I'll always make sure like I bring a couple back with me from holiday or I think my friends know if they are going to go away to or if they're listening to this, you now know, bring <laughs> me back rum. Yeah. Um I also I've gone a bit, I've gone a bit nuts on spice rubs. So <laughs> I've got like about seven different types of spice rub. Nice. Uh, one, that, couple that I ordered online. Uh, another that I go to. It's one of my favourite places in the world. Uh, Highgate Butcher in <laughs> North London. It's incredible. <laughs> um, I'll always get like a couple of bits uh, from there. I'm a big sauce guy as well, so there'll always be different types of sriracha get the knockoff one the real one the one that's mixed with mayo the extra hot one but yeah i've actually added the extra hot one i don't know how some people are feeling about this but i've added the extra hot one to a bolognese and a ragu before so nice no i think um i think experimental you know experimentalism is the uh name of the game throughout this period how have you kind of maintained you know, how have you been kind to the other people, to family, to friends? How have you kind of been able to support each other and the people in your kind of circle and that have needed it the most? I've I've noticed specifically with my sibling group, so mm-hmm. me and my my three older sisters, now more so than I can ever remember, mm. we're so vocal about mm. the love we have for each other, what we mean to each other that we really cherish the connection that we have, that we, you know, we understand that it's not like that for everybody. Mm. And even though we can't see each other Mm. or be in the same room or hug each other, Mm. that weirdly it's actually, I don't (laughs) want to sound cheesy, but it has actually brought us closer together. Um, And I know I'm doing a lot more, I'm going way more out of my way than I usually would to check in on friends or send them a text and 
not necessarily putting pressure on the people. Oh, talk, tell me your feelings. Tell me, t- tell me how you're doing. But I've appreciated that so much, having people check in on me or... I've even had friends who, some of them, they know me so well. If, I, if they send me a text and I don't reply, they'll just call me the next day and be like, yes, I texted you the other day. I thought I'd call you anyway. They know sometimes I can be, sometimes I can be a little bit like that. But um, I feel like that's my, that's my way yeah. of being more kind mm-hmm. is, yeah, again, trying to go out of my way to check in on the people that I care about and people that I've had these amazing experiences with or I feel like I have some sort of connection with. Yeah, whereas before I'd, I would have let work or other things distract me from that mm-hmm. or just the hustle and bustle of everything that's going on of, oh, I'll get round to it or I'll do that next week. Yeah, I think I've, I think I've done a lot more of that. Yeah, it's, again, really, really good advice. And yeah, I think a lot of people can probably relate to that. The kind of stripping away of everything else has kind of made you yeah. appreciate what's important and really value those moments of like connection and kindness thank you so much dev it's been a complete pleasure having you uh, you've been a terrific guest thanks for having me guys cheers you've been listening to life on a plate from waitrose i'm jimmy famarewa thank you to my co-host alison okavi and our guest dev griffin to learn more about the series go to waitrose.com forward slash podcast and please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.